I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. And welcome to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. I'm your host for this episode. I'm Dan. And... I am joined today by a survivor who, when I heard Laura's story, I heard it through another interview after she reached out to us and, and there's just so much here and so many lessons and so much inspiration. And so I was very happy to welcome our guest today. She is a CEO. She is a very successful podcast host. She is someone out in the world who is successful and you might never think that she has something in her background that so many of us listening might be going through right now, but she is also a survivor of domestic abuse. She was in an abusive relationship and her name is Laura Owens. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. And thank you for having this platform for survivors like me to be able to speak about our stories so that we can try and help people who are in relationships right now get out before we did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's such a huge part of your story, getting out. Um, and so much a part of so many survivor stories is how did that happen? So we'll, we'll get to that for sure, but you're welcome. Uh, I appreciate you reaching out and, and being a part of this. So Laura, I want to learn a little bit about you. If you could let listeners know where you, where you are today in your life journey, your success, because I want to paint a picture of, like I said a minute ago, this can be anyone. An abuser isn't someone who you can just put into a box. So many women and men and people in general can be in an abusive relationship and we may never know it. So let's paint the picture of your success right now. Where, where are you today in life, Laura? Yeah, well, I think that I am the woman who is guilty of up until very recently trying to look like I had it all together on Instagram and Facebook when in reality I had dealt with something that really impacted my life in every way possible um, and had started to, to go through this incredibly abusive relationship back in 2017. And since then, I was hiding the truth um, about who I really was and the pain that I was in. Um, so from the time that I was in the relationship until now when we're talking, um, I was able to start a podcast with my mom that has become very, very successful called Nobody Told Me, which largely was started because I had these awful experiences with my ex-boyfriend and just had this incredible desire 
to try to help other people get out of their own tough times and to help them through their struggles. Um, also, during the time I was in the relationship, I was a big part of a company I also have with my mom and uh, two other family members who are silent members of it called Quartet Farms, where we buy and sell uh, show horses. We've had, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 over the years that have been really successful. And uh, singing, songwriting, that's been a big part of my life since my early 20s that has in recent years become more of a hobby, but I'm getting back into it. Um, and yeah, I mean, just just all all these things. I really am a pretty dynamic person. And that was something that I did not embrace when I was in the midst of this relationship because I was told that I was really scatterbrained and just didn't know what I wanted to do. But now I really realize that that's a beautiful thing is to have a lot of interests um, and, and try and make those passions into something that resonates with other people and can give back to other people. And, and it's, it's so, it's so impactful when you say that you had it all together on social media. And that was part of what prompted you. It looks like to share, you know, one of your Facebook posts talks about how 99% of us think that we have it all together and we see everything perfect on social media, this kind of thing. Um, and yeah, like, we don't know who's facing what struggles. And so thank you for being willing to take off that, to, to pull back the curtain, take off the mask, do whatever it is to, to share that um, and, and inspire others. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that. I, I mean, the post that inspired me to go public about my experience was um, a photo shoot that I'd had. And it was, I don't know, near the end of my relationship with this man. He had encouraged me to go and do this photo shoot and take pictures with him. And, oh, we could also have some pictures taken individually. And I was just randomly going to post one of these photos as a throwback Thursday post. And when I was looking at these captions that I could maybe use for this photo, I Google them online, like popular Instagram captions. I just thought they all felt like they weren't genuine. And I felt like I was lying to people by saying, well, you don't know what was going on behind the camera here. And that this smile was not a smile. And if you look at my eyes, you can see the pain if you really look, look at me. Um, and, and so it, it just inspired me to say, no, I'm going to be real about this. I'm going to be honest. And, and in prep for our conversation today, I pulled that, those up and, and yeah, it's a beautiful smile. You're, you're a beautiful woman. This looks like a great photo shoot. But in that frame of reference, your eyes, it, it does look like it feels when you say that, it feels like you're saying, help me. Exactly. And that's, that's how I felt. And looking back at those photos with time being removed at this point, I see somebody who was really in pain and didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd like for you to share your story a little bit. Yeah. How, wherever, wherever you want to start. Like, I just, I want to, I want to hear how this happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up meeting this man who looked and acted like the all American boy. Um, when I was actually away for a horseback riding competition and it felt like fate 
like this guy lived in San Francisco like I did, but we just happened to be in the same little small town over Easter weekend. And oh my gosh, I called my mom after I first met him and said, this is the one, this is the guy I'm going to be with. And I couldn't shut up about him. (laughs) I really, I really couldn't. And I was saying he was tall. He was good looking. He took me out to dinner on the first date and not many guys do that. They usually just want to go and have a drink, but um, he, he wanted to have this long conversation with me and convinced me during the date that he was just this big person who was big into volunteering. He, he said that he had been the VP of several Fortune 500 companies, but just left it at that. Um, and he said that he'd dated a lot of celebrities and that made me feel like, okay, this is a valuable guy. Other people see him as valuable and legitimate. Um, and he talked about how his family was the most treasured thing in his life. So he really had it all together. Um, he was well-spoken. And the one memory I have so much from that first date with him was wishing so badly that someday this man would hold my hand. It's so weird, but I think of that all the time. That was my goal, um, which obviously ended up happening. Um, but it, it's funny because even looking back at that first date, I can see little red flags that I certainly couldn't sure. see then. What, so let me ask that though. What, what is, what are those red flags now that you see that maybe didn't hit you then, but look, but looking back now you look for in other people. I think that he was pretty calculating and rather than having a genuine way about himself, when he would be answering questions, you could just tell that he had to think for a minute and like he was trying to mirror what I wanted to hear in a lot of ways. For example, animals. I'm a huge animal lover. I, like I mentioned, I have the horses. Um, my family has been rescuing senior rescue dogs since I was little. Um, and they're a huge part of my life. And this guy told me how much he loved animals. That was a big emphasis. Um, also, I found out that he looked me up on LinkedIn and Facebook, and he had basically learned everything that that I enjoyed. So it was seeming like it was a big coincidence on this date when um, when we seemed to have everything in common. And then I remember at the end of the date, I had had nothing to drink, but I was going to drive back to my hotel. And he walked me to the parking lot, and he kept saying, "Wow, you walk really weird. You walk really weird. Are you sure you're okay?" And I was like, yeah, of course I'm okay. And he's like, wow, I've just never seen somebody walk like that. That's, that's so funny. And that was maybe the start of the little critiques he had of me. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that played a big part. As, you, as I listened to your, your story yeah. before, that was a big part. When did, that, when did those critiques start and, and when did you notice them first? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that I probably started to notice them a couple of months into the relationship. And like I said, looking back, they were probably going on for a lot longer. Um, And he would say things that would be half jokingly. So I could never really tell if these were critiques or if he was just kind of teasing me in a, in a way like a boy does if he has a crush on you in, in middle school, I could never really tell, but 
regardless, you could tell that these comments were condescending and I would never say them to him. So for example, he would say that after I cooked a meal for him that I'd put hours and hours into, he'd say, well, there's no doubt you're not the best cook. Or he would say I wasn't funny. Um, if I had a bad day at work, he would tell me that I wasn't a great business person. And after a few months, these got to be even more personal. And he would say I was a bad kisser and he didn't like the shape of my body and he wasn't attracted to me. But boy, was I lucky that he knew me and that he would stay with me, but nobody else would want to be with me. Hmm. Um, but, you know, as time went on, the, these things just got even more and more harsh. Um, yeah. He would tell me I was crazy, for example, if I busted him on still being on dating apps and refreshing his pictures. And um, in one case, he cut my dad out of a picture on a dating app. And one of my friends who was active on the dating apps um, screenshotted it to me and said, hey, on these apps, your dad's cut out of a photo. So there was no doubt he'd updated things. And he would say, no, you're absolutely crazy. You know, it just, just things that he actually made me feel crazy. And, and looking back at that example, how, how on earth was I crazy for that? Right. But I felt that way. Yeah. It's, you know, we, there's so much talk right now, it feels like in the world about gaslighting. Mm. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what that is, right? That's gaslighting mm -hmm. 101. You've it's, seen it, it you know, it's real, but he's telling oh, you, no, yeah. it's not. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And he, he, yes, exactly. And he didn't, he would deny things in a way that didn't make, I wouldn't say that it was like, man, I really busted him. He just made me feel like I had something really wrong with me. And these conversations would always end up with me being in tears and him telling me that I was bipolar and needed to be medicated. Hmm. I've heard that so many times since then, by the way, since I decided to tell people that I was in an abusive relationship, so many people have come to me to say those same words that their ex called them bipolar. So this is just clearly a go-to for these guys. So if you're hearing this right now, you've been called bipolar. I think it's just part of these guys' games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he, uh, your, your abuser cannot diagnose you if, yes, if somebody's so saying true. that right go to mm -hmm. a professional and see if this is the case but that's yeah my gosh um i i i know you've heard this but just i i'm sorry i'm sorry this happened to you i'm so grateful that you're telling the story um that had to be incredibly difficult you know through. and the way you you say that that's the perfect way to say that to somebody i think because when somebody says to you, oh my God, yeah, I can imagine what that was like. Oh, I know what that's like. You know, my cousin had a situation. Whenever they, if they go into their situation and act like they understand what it was like, it makes you kind of feel like, like you can't open up more to that person because they're basically saying, oh, I know what it is. I know exactly what you're going through. And Nobody can understand what your specific situation is. Mine is different than anybody else's is. Mm -hmm. They're all so unique. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so terrifying and frustrating and all these other words that come to mind. Oh, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. So, so as this relationship progresses and you're dating and you are trying to maintain a normalcy, you're, you're trying to go through this and it, and it escalates Mm-hmm. Where where did it begin to really look like this was something that you needed to stop? What what happened to get you to that point? Share that with us if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so up until the point that we uh, just finished talking about, it had been emotional abuse. And I think that I was able to convince myself that I could stay in his good graces and I could make him be nicer to me if somehow I did these over-the-top things for him um, and that would make him love me. That was a big thing as well. He wouldn't say he loved me and he's like, yeah, I know that's so hard for you. I just don't love you. I, I don't know what to say. So I emptied my childhood savings and I took him on a huge trip to Iceland, um, which had been his dream to go to Iceland. And when we got to the airport, he said, hey, you need to know I am not telling anybody that I'm going with you. I would be so embarrassed to say I was going with you. Um, And this really upset me. So I spent the plane ride to Iceland um, really upset. I was in tears. And um, to be honest, I was actually writing down basically basically a, a suicide note. Um, I was so upset um, at how worthless I was and how, gosh, I wasn't even worth showing off, you know, going on this exotic trip when we'd been together, I guess, a year at that point. Um, And this lady who was sitting in front of us on the plane, um, this random lady, I never saw her face, slipped this note back to me um, between the seats while my abuser went to the bathroom Um, And I can read that note if you'd like me to. Sure, please. Yeah. Yeah. So she said, dear girlfriend, I know the Lord had had me overhear your conversation to let you know you are a very beautiful young woman that should have a man that makes you cry with wonderful laughter, not bullying. You are being abused and he will never like love you like you deserve. I'm very concerned about you and I'm praying for you. Run from him and get help and protection. He doesn't care what you think or say or do. He is a very sick man and will make you sick if you stay with him. Please take this to heart and get help fast. Hmm. Yeah. And she sent this. And this was before the physical abuse started, you know? So I'm thinking, oh, God, she's right. Like, he's an awful person, but he doesn't hurt me. (laughs) You know, there's just such a crazy thing when you're in the mindset of being abused. You know, like, it's crazy. And... And my first thought was, oh, God, I don't want him to read this. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so I took this note. I was really surprised that somebody had written this. Um, and it did obviously stay in the back of my mind. It, it had to. I mean, once that was written and given to me, it had to stay with me. Um, but it wasn't until we were in Iceland that things started to turn violent. Um, he found out that I had privately sent a picture of the two of us in Iceland, um, just texted it to a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine who he had met before. 
Um, and he absolutely lost it on me and was violent with me. Um, and I was absolutely stunned. I was stunned. And looking back, I shouldn't have been stunned because all of what he was doing was getting worse and worse. And it was leading to, to physical violence. Um, afterwards, he apologized profusely and said this would never happen again. And boy, it must have been jet lag. And he was just, you know, really upset, but he was so sorry. But what was crazy is every other day throughout that 14-day trip, he was violent. Um, and the violence just kept getting worse and worse. Uh, long story short, in, in Iceland, he tried to drown me in these private lagoons um, that we were at basically in the middle of the night. It was like a northern lights. Um, we did two of these trips to find the northern lights, and we would be in these lagoons. It was supposed to be really romantic. Um, and he knew I didn't know how to swim. So he, uh, he knew the water was a very easy place to, to put me in a vulnerable position. So he tried to drown me twice in lagoons and he tried to lock me in a sauna. And, um, luckily an employee who worked at the sauna came out after he had uh, lock the door. And he, this is the scariest part for me though, was the choking and suffocating. And that happened repeatedly. That was the scariest thing. Um, and that happened over the period of months. And, uh, yeah, that, that was really where I, I felt truly in the most danger for, uh, for my life. Mm. Wow. And, so something you said that I wrote down physical, emotional, verbal, and then abuse in all capital letters. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were telling yourself at the time, and I think listeners, you know, maybe in a similar position, well, if it's just yelling at me, it's not really abuse. If it's just telling me that I'm, that I'm ugly or I'm worthless or I'm lazy or whatever, it's not really abuse. I'll be okay unless they get physical. But abuse is abuse is abuse, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, what do you what do you say to people now? And, and, and I, I want to get back to your story in a minute here. But like that particular thing hit me when you said at least he wasn't physical. The woman gives me the note, but I'm thinking he's not physical, so I'm just going to hang out of this. Mm -hmm. What do you look at? How do you look at that now? Gosh, it's so completely different because the impact that words have can be greater even than bruises that women are left with the emotional effect of abuse has stuck with me a lot longer than the marks that he left on me i can't stress that enough and i think that so many women are in my position and try to justify the words of their abuser because they think to their to themselves that on some level maybe they deserve those hmm. and i think that in a lot of ways our society has let men get away with that mm -hmm. um and and that has allowed them to get to go further and further with their words and after going public with my story, so many people reached out to me and said that they had had such similar experiences to me and 
they would say, but you know, it wasn't as bad as you because it didn't get physical. No, it, it was as bad. If it had an impact on you, if it made you feel less than you should have felt, if it made you feel worthless and made you question yourself, that is abuse. You should not be with somebody who is ever making you feel like you are anything but a princess who should be put on a pedestal. And if you are with a guy who is finding flaws in you, then you need to find the biggest flaw of all in him. He's a jerk and you need to try your very best to extricate yourself from that situation. And as soon as possible, as soon as you're seeing those signs, because it doesn't get better. Mm. Amen. hundred percent. So yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, I wish I had gotten out when it was starting to, to go in that direction. Yeah. Well, and we, and we, we have an, an older episode that asks why do victims stay or go back? And, and there's just so many answers to that. There's no one good answer of, well, this is logical. It just, it just, it takes several attempts, several different touch points. It just, takes a long time. Our emotions and our relationships are complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mm-hmm. question, the question should stop being why does he or she go back? And it should be, why does the abuser keep abusing? Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And, and that's the thing as well that um, you saying that just, just brought something up for me. So many people, and I can't say so many people, the few people I confided in, Um, about this abuse, who I thought were really good friends are no longer really good friends of mine because they had that same question about, well, why did you say, why are you still with him if this kind of stuff is going on? Um, And there's no answer. Like you said, there's no answer. It's so complicated. And unless you've been in exactly that same relationship, you can't answer it. Mm -hmm. That question so, needs to stop. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So outside of those people that you confided in, the person that seems to be the catalyst for this was this stranger, this angel, this light at the end of the tunnel, as you say in one of your posts. Right. Wow. What? Wow. I mean, I don't even know if I have a question for that, Laura, other than just wow. I mean, so I didn't realize there's also a follow-up to this. Yeah. Can you share that a little bit? Like Yeah, it's it's crazy. This this woman who I still don't know what she looks like, but um she she gave her email address at the end of this note. Um and it's it's so crazy how everything ends up working out. But um I finally confided in my mom about what had been going on. Um at the very end of this relationship where I was trying to really just pull away without doing anything too drastic to upset him so he wouldn't kill me. I was just trying to, you know, kind of ghost him in some ways, which sounds awful, but that was the way that I thought would be the safest for me to leave. Mm -hmm. So when it was at that point, I started to share things with my mom, um, who was, who's always been my best friend, but I I didn't feel like I could share something like this with her. Um, and I showed her the note that this woman had left Um, and I gave her a copy of the note and she reached out to the woman on, uh, she emailed her, um, which I had not done. And 
So my mom got in touch with her and this woman said that she gave an email address that she really didn't use and didn't want to give her last name because she was really afraid that um, my ex-boyfriend would go after her. Uh, she was really intimidated by him. And anyway, um, when I decided to get a restraining order against this guy, this woman ended up being one of the key witnesses and, and uh, wrote a statement in support of me and what she had observed. And so I really credit her so much with, with having such a big role in this from opening my eyes up to helping me get a restraining order. She really had such an impact on my life. And the message that I really want to spread is that you don't know what's going on in somebody's life, but if you're starting to get a weird vibe about a stranger and their well-being, you should say something because the worst that happens is maybe they think you're crazy, whatever. It's uncomfortable for a little bit. You're probably not going to ever see them again, but maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to have an impact like this woman had on my life and you'll change that person's life. This woman will never fully comprehend what she did for me, but it changed every aspect of my life. And I wouldn't be talking to you on this show today had she not done this. I mean, I don't, I truly don't believe I would be alive. Absolutely. I, 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 it is so powerful that your mom reached out to her and you've had these conversations with her. And the fact that my, a woman on a plane ended up being the witness for your personal protection order, your PPO, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, last week I had to get the domestic violence order renewed, even though it was a permanent order, it, the court system. Um, I don't want to knock the court system, but you know, a permanent order should be a permanent order. Um, mm -hmm. and last week, again, I, I referenced this woman's note. So, um, again, she remains part of my life in a, in a little bit of a way. And I'm going to send her an email this weekend to tell her that I got the order granted again and that she helped me. Hmm. Man, that, My pen pal. <laughs> I, I just have to take a moment. Cause that, every time I read the note or we talk about it, it just, it, it, my goodness, I can't even imagine what it's like for you because for me as an outsider, it just moves me so deeply. And how uh, lucky was I to get that? Most people, most of the people you talk to don't get that. Mm -hmm. I wish we all could because having somebody from the outside say that it looks bad really does make you feel like maybe it is bad. Mm -hmm. And it's even different than if, you know, your friend or your family member says something, having a stranger say something is totally different. So powerful. So, yeah. so, at, so, so this goes on for a while. You, you get this note, it, it, you know, it, it isn't a flip of a switch. You just walk away. It's, as we said, it's complicated but you get to the point where you've made a decision enough is enough. I have to do this or I won't survive. Like you recognize mm -hmm. that Laura and how powerful that is. I, you mentioned a minute ago, you don't want to knock the courts. There are, there are great people who work in the court systems, uh, but the systems themselves are quite flawed from state to state, from municipality to municipality across the country. They are flawed. Your mm -hmm. story of that first attempt to get out when you went to the police station w again, without knocking officers, like what a, what a disheartening experience. Do you mind sharing that? 
Oh, absolutely not. And and I also want to explain that my reason for the order was not just because of the abuse, but because when I tried to withdraw from the relationship, he was showing up at restaurants that he knew that my family and I would, would go to. I have a very regular routine. If I go this place Mondays, this place Tuesdays. And so he knew all that and he would show up and he'd text and say, I'm watching you guys. And he'd show up at restaurants and just be like standing in a corner and then he'd show up at my apartment. So this had just gotten to a point where it was getting really creepy. So, um, so one night after this had happened, I thought I've had enough. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end this right now. I'm going to go to the police station and they're going to just say to me, Oh my God, thank God. Thank God you came for help. You know, we've got this. So I went to the police station. I am just bawling. I, I mean, I look like a shadow of myself. And when I went up to the police originally, it was like, okay, you know, you're gonna have to wait for a bit. Um, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. An hour and a half goes by. I go up to the front and I'm like, Hey, is, is somebody coming out soon? Finally, a junior officer comes out and he's like, Hey, you know, I just read your story. And, you know, honestly, it just kind of sounds like he's an asshole. So, you know, do you want me to drive you home? And I said, but wait, I really, I need whatever this temporary order is that you can issue. Can, can I please have that? And he's like, well, you know, it's the weekend and that's pretty difficult to get. So, um, you know, maybe just wait until Monday and, uh, try and go to the courthouse and get an order or something. So I left feeling awful. I was shocked because I thought once you went to the police, that was really it, that they really would take it from there. And that was not my experience. And that really made me feel like I was going to be stuck in this position in this relationship because, you know, okay, well maybe I should just go back to him then if the police aren't going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful that DASIS has a, a chief on our board of directors and his department has taken a, this so seriously and has spread the word to our officers in our area. So anyone listening who is in law enforcement, who has a connection, please bring this as an example of what not to do because we need to take it so much more seriously than that. Exactly. And I've heard that story from so many people. It's, it's really crazy. Mm-hmm. But then I decided that instead of giving up and giving in, I needed to find some other way to get this, to get this chapter in my life to, to be over, to, to start on the path to recovery and to a life without this man. And so I called a women's shelter um, and didn't know what I didn't know what I would do. Cause like I said, my family didn't know the danger that I was in and I thought I was safe in my apartment, but I wasn't once he started, you know, trying to knock down my door. So I called this women's shelter and they were the nicest people ever. I, I can't tell you how amazing they were. And they connected me with a group for free legal help for victims of domestic violence And these women have been in my life since the initial order. They helped me get the initial order and um, they helped me get my renewal last week. And talk about people who are, are also truly angels in that they had nothing to gain financially by helping me and by being kind to me and patient with me. But they gave everything because they believe, they believe the victims 
And it's really hard to find people who just will believe the victims without having some aspect of, of judgment towards them. So important. Mm. So important. So what, Laura, is your biggest takeaway from your experience that you want people to really hear? Yeah, I think that if you've had a past like mine, if you've experienced this kind of thing, you need to embrace it and embrace the fact that you went through really tough times and that you should be commended for being able to overcome them. That, that is a huge thing. And maybe you don't get a certificate for it. And maybe <laughs> at best you walk away with a, you know, a domestic violence restraining order, but at the same time, how much strength does that take? Mm-hmm. And there is always a way out of a bad situation like that. There are domestic violence groups and suicide prevention hotlines, podcasts, you know, there's always, they're always available and you need to utilize them sooner. You know, and and also one last thing too, that you always have more support than you think you do. And even when you think to yourself, okay, it's down to one person. And if this one person doesn't believe me, then that's it. I need to just stay in this relationship. That's just, that's not true. And, and one of my, I'll share one of my takeaways from this too. Yeah. Yeah. For those of us who are bystanders, bystander intervention is real. It is critical mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not confrontational. You know, if she had turned around and like yelled at him or done something else that could have very easily escalated the situation, put you in an even deeper, darker place sooner. Mm-hmm. But her outreach to you very quietly, very privately, dear girlfriend, you know, I'm praying for you, you know, whether you are a f- person of faith or not, like her note just resonates so much. And you were able to hang on to that and keep that private. And that was your, your beacon, your light, your North star, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. bystander intervention is real. And this, this person, this woman did that in such an amazing way. And I think that's such an inspiration for listeners who are, you know, whether you're in an abusive relationship right now or not, keep that in mind because there are people around us that need us. Yeah. And I think that if you're somebody who's a friend or a family member, you can have that bystander impact as well. If you're questioning whether or not to say something to a friend or family member who you are a little bit concerned about, just, just do it. Mm -hmm. I hear you on both of those. I hear you say, just do it, right? Like, right, yeah, do it, yeah. do it sooner. Yeah. You know, for bystanders, just do it. And for those who are in an abusive relationship, just do it. Just get that help. Just tell someone else. Yeah. Laura Owens, thank you so much for sharing your story, for having that bravery. Um, you know, we got through, we got through a lot, and and you obviously are on the other side of that now, and are are sharing that. So. I just can't thank you enough. Is there any last encouragement or advice or anything that you want to share with listeners of the show? Yeah, I really want people to know how many other people that are around you have probably gone through similar things. It's just been crazy how many people have reached out to me. I mean, crazy who have gone through similar things that I have. So you are never, never alone. And 
time does heal as, as cheesy as that sounds. I mean, to an extent you, you will still be so upset to think about it. But I think that as time goes on, you have a different understanding of what you've gone through and you can see it for what it is. And in some ways, by the time you've removed yourself from the situation and you're looking back, you're going to be proud of yourself for realizing, Hey, I got out of this. And, and to me, that's the biggest accomplishment of my whole life. Mm. Bravo. Such, such good stuff, Laura. So um, nobody told me is the podcast, uh, yeah. quartet farms, Laura Owens on, on Facebook, anyone uh, looking for you go listen to the show. Nobody told me that's a great show. And in a, in a big one, my goodness, Eight all-time best-selling entrepreneurship show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, six million downloads this year. Um, such an audience. So thank you for being willing to be even more vulnerable uh, and, and bring that to the world. So Well, thank you for allowing me the space to do this. You are doing something that is so, so important. And, and yeah, I hope if you're in a, in a relationship right now where you're the victim, I hope you're listening to this because you can listen to it privately. Nobody needs to know that you're listening. Just put in your earbuds and get some help. Absolutely. All right. That's our show for the day. Uh, as always for, for, for anyone listening, 800-828-2023 or dasismi.org, D-A-S-A-S-M-I.org for any of the resources you need. Uh, if you're outside of our area, the national domestic abuse hotline, uh, it's, it's all there for you. So Laura, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I'm not in an abusive relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.